Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of Market Saints. I am your host, Cole Kiefer, and before we get into this great first episode featuring some of our very own club members here at Mew Capital, I want to give you guys some insight into what you can expect from this podcast going forward. In two weeks' time, I will be joined by my co-host and good friend, Stu, and together we will be recording and creating a weekly podcast that you can expect out on Friday afternoons. We will be covering all of the financial news of the week, from hot stocks and market trends to dumpster dive stocks and hot takes on Twitter, we are going to have a more conversational and laid-back atmosphere where it will be easy to digest the topics but still be very informative. In addition to those segments that I just mentioned, from time to time we will be featuring our Mu Capital Group members on the podcast to interview them about their stock pitches. As a member of the Mu Capital Group, you must produce and present a stock pitch every month to the group where we will then all collectively vote on whether or not to invest. From there, we will take some of our favorite pitches and feature them here on the podcast to give you guys a highlighted version of their inspiration and reasoning behind their pitch. And maybe, if you guys like their presentation, you guys can take tidbits from those interviews and apply it to your very own portfolios. In this episode, we will have two amazing interviews, starting with the two presidents of the Mu Capital Group, Charlie and Lawrence, on their PayPal pitch, followed by my good friend Sean Miller to come and talk about his Microsoft pitch. Aside from the group interviews and financial recaps, we are going to have featured interviews from various professionals in the business world from an array of fields, and out of respect to them, they will be released separately as their own episodes. As a whole, guys, I am super excited to bring you guys the first ever episode of Market Saints. What's up, guys, and welcome to the first interview featured in this episode of Market Saints. I am joined here in studio by Charlie and Lawrence, the two presidents of the Mu Capital Group, to talk about their PayPal pitch. Hey, guys, hope you're both well, and thank you for coming on. Hey, Cole. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much, Cole, for this. I can't wait to get started. So before I ask any specifics, I want to give you guys the opportunity to give me a minute or two highlighted elevator pitch of why you guys pitch PayPal. So how about we start with you, Charlie? So as everyone knows, PayPal is a technology platform and digital payments company that enables digital and mobile payments on behalf of its customers. The company charges net transaction fees for each transaction completed on its platform. This actually accounts for nearly 93% of the company's total revenues. The payment giant has 403 million global users as of quarter two, 2021, a 7% increase since the beginning of the financial year, but is setting its sights on one day reaching 1 billion users. We think high consumer-based growth, compounded by exponential transactional growth, will allow PayPal to significantly increase its revenues in the coming years. So PayPal currently has a very dominant market position within the payment processing market share. This dominant position allows PayPal to capture a lot of the industry's upside, which is really beneficial when we consider the 19.4% CAGR from 2021 to 2028. This growth can be attributed to the growing volume of non-cash transactions and a rise in the fintech sector's technological developments, as well as government uh, pushing towards a more cashless society. The rapid rise in smartphone penetration across emerging economies, primarily in Asia-Pacific region, and the introduction of mobile wallets across the world is rapidly propelling the adoption of digital payment services. 
India is to account for the most significant share in Asia-Pacific, with PayPal well positioned to capture this growth in India, as in February 2020 they announced to launch a peer-to-peer -peer payments feature in India. Another potentially high growth market that PayPal are well positioned to capitalise on is Japan through their re recent acquisition of Paydu. The acquisition will expand PayPal's capabilities, distribution and relevance in the domestic payments market in Japan, the third largest e-commerce market in the world, complementing the company's existing cross-border e-commerce business in the country. PayPal also outset a massive expansion into Europe capitalising on the expected plummet of cash use to 15.4% of POS transactions by 2024 in the region. PayPal's launched an expansion of new products like Pay4, its Buy Now, Pay Later solution, and Zoom, its remittance business, will bolster total payment volume by tapping into new demand created by the continued growth in e-commerce. The company also recently launched its own cryptocurrency trading service. This service generates revenue by charging fees on crypto transactions executed on the platform. This positively exposed, exposes PayPal to the massive growth in demand for cryptocurrencies whilst hedging a lot of the risk that crypto holsters. PayPal also has a strong acquisition strategy, acquiring four companies since March 2021. Management is committed to continue to acquire or partner with other financial institutions to fulfill their vision of becoming a fully-fledged financial services company. It is this vision and positive outlook that we find very enticing from an investment perspective. You know, I think it's interesting that you guys mentioned Japan and India as budding markets for PayPal. And this parlays right into my first question, where in actuality, currently 51% of PayPal's revenue was generated in the US, while 11% was generated in the UK. So do you think that the company is geographically diversifying its revenue streams, or do you think they're focusing more on these markets? Yes, a significant amount of revenue is generated in the US at 51%. However, PayPal does operate in 202 markets globally. So it's both diversifying its revenue streams globally and also bolstering revenue generation in the US, its primary market. In the US, for example, PayPal's in-store services are currently accepted in over 600,000 retail locations, having signed up 29 major retailers last year. This included Foot Locker, Nike, Levi's and even Bloomingdale's. CVS is the first US national retailer to go full tilt with PayPal, now allocating contactless payment in all of its 9,200 retail locations, losing PayPal and Venmo QR codes. Cohen Equity Research actually estimated that there is $19 billion of untapped opportunity in digital payment options available in US grocery, pharmacy and restaurant verticals, where cash payments have traditionally been over-indexed. This facilitates the amount of growth opportunities PayPal still have within the US. In terms of their expansion globally, on the 7th of September 2021, PayPal actually pushed deeper into Europe with its QR code offering being bought by Euronet, a credit service company. This will involve 748,000 point-of-sale terminals in 60 countries across Europe. The offering is currently live in Germany, but is expected to roll out to more markets in the coming weeks. PayPal has also expanded its business debit card in Belgium, Finland, the Netherlands and Portugal. PayPal really wants to expand its European business as cash use continues to fall throughout the region. Cash use in Europe is expected to plummet in the next few years. It actually made up 27.4% of point of sale transactions in 2020, but is expected to drop to 15.4% by 2024. And I think it's 
targeting areas like that which will be so beneficial for PayPal's growth in the future. So if we look at Japan for example, they're a hugely untapped market with 75% of payments still settled in cash. However, this is changing due to a variety of reasons. So if we look at Japan's younger generation becoming a larger part of the consumer economy, there's a demand to change to digital to match their tech-friendly habits in terms of like a consumer nature. And then also there's massive political efforts to try and change this uh, consumer culture and make everything cashless. So this is mainly because a large-scale switch could contribute $15 billion to the country's economy, as well as digital payments being viewed by policymakers as a means of tackling Japan's deflation economy mindset and easing the current labour shortage, both long-term government goals. These factors have been important drivers in this cashless vision uh, policy that has a target of 40% cashless payments by 2025. And this vision looks set to revolutionise the payments market in Japan, which PayPal, through the acquisition of Payday, or Payday is um, looking to capitalise on. This acquisition will expand PayPal's uh, capabilities, distribution and relevance in the domestic payments market in Japan, the third largest e-commerce commerce market in the world, complementing the company's existing cross-borders e-commerce business in the country. Basically, Payday's payment service allows Jap Japanese shoppers to purchase online and then pay for the item at the end of each month in a consolidated bill. The company uses proprietary technology to score creditworthiness, underwrite transactions and guarantee payment to merchants. It helps customers feel comfortable and safe while shopping online, which has been a huge problem uh, getting the Japanese consumer base onto digital transactions. Another high uh, growth opportunity for PayPal is India. India's digital payments market is rapidly expanding and is still relatively new uh, due to um, just the large increase uh, in smartphone adoption in the past few years. Um, the reason why it's growing so fast is because there's also like a very fav favourable regulatory environment, there's been a lot of infrastructure upgrades, and since um, there's been a lot of more affordable flagship uh, grade features on Chinese smartphones, there's been a huge take up of these in the area. There's also been a huge uh, demonetization in India, where essentially there was a massive culling of currency taken up by the government which made 86% um, of the currency in circulation invalid. So this was a step taken by the government to fight against black money, money terror financing and counterfeit currency. This was a major driving force for the adoption of digital payments. And the Digital uh, India program is a flagship program of the government in India, trying to transform India to a digital powerhouse. PayPal are well positioned to capitalise on this growth in India, as in February 2020, they announced to launch a peer-to-peer -peer payments feature in India, and this service is based on the Universal Payments interfa Interface, which is India's indigenous digital payments network, and it will roll out in the near future. You know, I think you guys make some great points. PayPal is riding the tech wave, if not at the forefront. There's so much untapped potential in some of these world's biggest markets in both population and GDP. I mean, it would be crucial for them to hit in these markets like India and Japan. You know, tech and virtual tools are skyrocketing, and the fintech market is seemingly boundless to expand upon. So this actually transitions perfectly into my next question. You guys talked about it a little bit before, but PayPal launched its own cryptocurrency trading service in November 2020. Given how volatile cryptocurrencies are, how much of this is a risk long term? 
Cryptocurrency's volatility and questionable long-term utility does make it risky, even compared to some of the more volatile equities. In April 2020, PayPal announced that Venmo would be able to facilitate cryptocurrency transactions. And following this, in November 2020, PayPal launched its own cryptocurrency trading service, offering Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash. For any company to involve itself in the crypto sphere does create some amount of risk. However, PayPal generates profits from cryptocurrency transactions and the revenue it generates is not directly exposed to the general price movement or intrinsic value of the cryptocurrency. PayPal really profits off over the demand of those cryptocurrencies. Therefore, PayPal is possibly exposed to the growth of the cryptocurrency market without being vulnerable to its volatile price, price movements. PayPal sees cryptocurrency as a means of acquiring customers and increasing engagement on their apps and services. For example, in the days following the release of PayPal's cryptocurrency services in November, management actually recorded a 50% increase in daily logins to their apps. The company also recently acquired Curve, an Israel-based crypto custodian, to expand its cryptocurrency services, further illustrating PayPal's confidence in its crypto offerings as a long-term growth opportunity. I agree, Charlie. If PayPal wants to stay on top, they need to make sure that they are adopting to these new technologies. Cryptocurrency, by all indications, is here to stay. Paired with other movements like NFTs, which are essentially non-fungible tokens, it's just a form of online collectibles, all of these together have absolutely caught fire, and large organizations are finally opening up to cryptocurrency as a legitimate payment method as a result. Now let's move on to our next interview. For our next interview, we have another Mu Capital member and good friend of mine, Sean Miller, here in studio to talk to us about his pitch on Microsoft. So Sean, it's great to have you here. And just as the first question, the same as I asked for Charlie and Lawrence, just give me a one minute pitch quickly on why you think Microsoft is a smart investment for the coming year. Firstly, Cole, thanks so much for having me. Um, it's certainly great to be a part of something new and exciting as part of the Mu Capital Group. In terms of addressing your first question about a minute pitch about why I think Microsoft is a smart and worth it investment, just as a sort of one line rationale before I get into a bit of detail, I personally think Microsoft is a smart investment because it is a market dominating company with an impressive track record to date and attractive opportunities for growth going forward. Microsoft is certainly powering the digital transformation Demand for their subscription-based Microsoft 365 continues to grow as more and more business is conducted digitally. More specifically, their newer collaboration-orientated applications are market-leading products. SharePoint, for instance, uh, their usage jumped 100% in 2020 as the platform surpassed 200 million monthly active users. Similarly, we have seen a similar thing with Teams, which was used by on average more than 115 million people each day. These impressive numbers reflect the pivotal role Microsoft plays in enabling enterprise workflow worldwide. Businesses' daily reliance on Microsoft is a valuable competitive advantage. And then I just wanted to add a short little second point as to why I believe it's a smart investment, and that lies in the growth potential of their Azure cloud computing service particularly in big data and artificial intelligence, 
both of which seem to be a fundamental part of the world going forward. These are only just two examples of Microsoft's diverse um, potential growth opportunities. And given the variety of segments within its business, as well as people's everyday reliance on its services, I strongly believe it is an attractive stock to invest in. I think you make a lot of great points, Sean. I think the fact that their SharePoint and OneDrive grew at a rate of 100% in user activity is absolutely crucial to this stock as a future investment. I know that people will try to make the argument that COVID is the main and sole contributor to Microsoft Teams and OneDrive's success last year. And while it may be true that COVID shined the spotlight on Microsoft Team-like software, I think the fact of the matter is even through 2021, when a good portion of the world has started to revert back into office work, Teams is still growing at a healthy rate. In quarter two last year in 2020, during the heart of the pandemic, Teams had 75 million daily users. In quarter two of this year in 2021, that number has nearly doubled to 145 million daily users. Leading to my next question, Microsoft continues to push its foot down in diversification. From their software to gaming to many other fields, it seems like Microsoft has their hand in every basket. Therefore, I pose to you this question. Do you think that there's a potential that over time Microsoft begins to spread too thin and all of these niche fields that they're involved in end up getting overtaken by smaller companies that are specializing in these fields? Well, that's a fantastic question, and I certainly think it's a reality for Microsoft, um, but I do think that they are keeping a watchful um, eye over it. Firstly, with revenue over the last four quarters sitting at about $168 billion, I believe it will not be a huge problem for them. Um, with the revenue of that magnitude, as well as their dominant position in so many segments of the market, getting overtaken in the odd field here and there, will not be too costly in the long run as they continue to innovate and adapt. Secondly, given that their market value sits at just over $2 trillion, they are extremely well equipped to acquire some of the small companies specializing in some of these niche fields in an effort to combat the potential competition. This can be illustrated by what they have done in the past. For instance, their recent acquisition last month of Take Lessons which is a platform for students to connect with individual tutors in various subject areas. This demonstrates their desire to combat competition in the edtech sector, which is certainly a new and exciting sector um, on the rise at the moment. Then secondly, their acquisition in August of a company called Peer5, which is a platform to optimize bandwidth usage via mesh networking, networking technology, is a fantastic complementary company to MS Teams. This demonstrates their aspiration, um, I think, to remain market dominant in the whole online meetings field, if you'd call it that. I think it's an important point that Microsoft can essentially weaponize their size and the fact that they can monitor all of these small fields that they are branching out into by utilizing acquisitions to just further bolster their stronghold on some of these niches. So I have a topical question for you. About two weeks ago, we all experienced or heard about the Facebook massive cyber attack that shut down all of their platforms, such as Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram. Some people thought that Microsoft and Facebook, these kinds of big companies, were too big for something like this to happen. So what is Microsoft doing to prevent such an issue from occurring to them? Well, firstly, um, the obvious answer would be that Microsoft is continuously updating their platforms to ensure the most advanced technology is in place to prevent such cyber attacks from happening. 
Um, the harsh thing is, however, given how well-known Microsoft is, as well as the market share that they take, uh, that they possess, there will always be attempts to hack them. Um, however, besides the continuous updates, uh, Microsoft has various platforms slash measures in place in an attempt to combat such attacks. For instance, they have Microsoft Defender Antivirus, which is an anti-malware component of Microsoft Windows. It comprises a number of real-time security agents that monitor various overlapping areas of Windows for changes which might have been caused by spyware. Um, and I believe such software can hopefully allow Microsoft to not experience what Facebook and the like have experienced over the last week. And then just to quote a statement um, which I found interesting on their website in terms of where they stand in this whole cyber attack space. They say increasing cybersecurity in critical sectors is vital to the future of national economies and has become a priority for governments around the world. Microsoft supports these risk management efforts and believes that every nation should have a strategy to frame its investments and desired outcomes in cybersecurity. This certainly shows the importance of cybersecurity for Microsoft which will play a pivotal role for preventing any future attacks. The way that you describe Microsoft as a very strong, fundamental, bulletproof S company makes a lot of sense. You know, in the PC operating systems market, they have a 73% market share, even in competition with other titans such as Apple. And you know, I see the need to have core strong foundational stocks to balance potential riskier investments. But with a market value of just over $2 trillion joining Apple in the $2 trillion exclusive club, what is the upside in this investment, especially in this one-year holding period? Where do they even go from here? Also, do you have any fear that the government will continue to regulate Microsoft as a monopoly? Well, firstly, I'd like to say that Microsoft is the kind of stock that I would invest in for a minimum period of, call it, um, three to five years. I certainly agree with where you're coming from with the potential limited upside in this investment, especially in just one year. However, I strongly believe that their innovative and adaptable nature will ensure that they venture into new and untapped fields to remain competitive. We do not know what sort of opportunities lie ahead. Uh, there could be numerous new industries that form, and I have no doubt Microsoft is keeping an eye out for these. In my opinion, and given their market-dominating position at the moment, there will be continued upside from an investment in Microsoft. However, and to answer your second point, um, I think it's something Microsoft certainly needs to watch out for, especially given their past. For instance, and this is dating back quite a while ago, in 2013, Microsoft were fined $731 million for failing to promote a range of web browsers rather than just Internet Explorer um, to users in the EU. And then with so many opportunities on the horizon, they certainly need to watch out and prevent any sort of thing of this nature occurring again. However, I also believe that as businesses become more focused on ESG and integrity, and with increased spotlight being placed on these important factors, monopolistic behavior is pretty much impossible. Microsoft, I believe, will just continue to diversify their impressive portfolio to ensure that they are not overly dominant in one segment of the economy. Yeah, you know, Sean, I think it's a great idea to have a company like Microsoft in the Mu Capital portfolio for this year, just to help counterbalance other stocks that we may invest in that are a bit riskier throughout the year. So as a whole, I just want to thank you for coming on, and uh, I really appreciate your time. 
thanks so much, Cole. And yeah, once again, great to be a part of this new and upcoming thing. Just as a closing note here, I want to thank you guys for listening to the first ever episode of Market Saints. Also, quickly, I'd like to thank and shout out my very talented flatmate, Max Manella, for all of those guitar riff transitions that you heard throughout the podcast. As a whole, I hope you guys enjoyed the interviews. I want to thank Sean, Charlie, and Lawrence again. If you have any interest in what they talked about, I would refer you to our website where we post some of our featured stock pitches. The website is mucapitalgroup.com, the letter M, the letter U, capitalgroup.com. There you will find some more detailed financial reports on some of the stock pitches that go on within the Mu Capital Group. And just as another quick reminder, the weekly podcast will start the last week of October. Unfortunately, this next coming week is reading week here. So I will start the podcast with my wonderful co-host, Stu, at the end of October. And then you can expect a weekly posting from that. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys listening, and I'll catch you next time.